Hi, welcome to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Jim, it's uh, it's great to, to be with you again. I have to tell you, I wish I was with you in person because I'm certain that you've lost a ton of weight as busy as you were last week, at least figuratively, you were running around a lot. We had a, a very busy week here in Washington. I guess uh, the most important thing by far was the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Here, her passing is something that will be felt uh, in the annals of American history, I think, for as long as the Republic stands. Uh, whether you agreed or disagreed with her, Jim, I think we both will, will acknowledge her honor, her integrity, um, her gentle demeanor uh, was a, a, uh, an example um, for men and women alike. And, it, and it's cast a new uh, and very intriguing light on the forthcoming elections. I think um, had we been doing this under different circumstances, Jim, you and I and a few other political junkies would have gathered at an appropriate establishment and stayed there until the wee hours of the night discussing and debating the various potential uh, impacts that this has on the election process. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, these are, you know, you obviously... Uh, you know, coming up through the government affairs side of things in, in your long career in Washington, these these are the moments that you kind of live for uh, in Washington D.C. And if you're and if you're a political junkie, just these kind of turn the world on its on its end uh, moments where it seems like uh, you know, in this case, elections are hanging in the balance, the balance of the courts uh, hang in the balance. I mean, these are these are just one of those really neat moments uh, that, uh, that that define careers and at least make you make you happy that you have a career in D.C. at this time. Well, and um, as it turns out, regardless of what we may have uh, postulated in any uh, uh, drunken conversations <laughs> we didn't get to have, uh, the president is uh, has nominated uh, and the Republicans are going to push ahead for a confirmation prior to the election. Now, what do you think about that? Well, look, the, 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 this is this is one of those raw political moments where uh, the president has a constitutional responsibility to nominate uh, a replacement for uh, for for Justice Ginsburg. Uh, he's going to do so. Uh, we've never seen something this close to the election. Uh, you've got the complicating factor of, of comments that, that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made several years ago with the Neil Gorsuch nomination or the, um, the Merrick Garland nomination. Uh, and, and those have been waved out in front for the last week or so. Uh, but but th this is, the, this is uh, again, we're going to see kind of raw political power being exercised here by the Republican Party uh, with only a, you know, a couple handfuls of uh, days before the election to, to change the course of, of the, the Supreme Court for a generation um, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting to watch, but, uh, but again, these are uh, the, the, the strange times that we live in. You're right. Um, uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett has uh, been nominated. Uh, it appears that with um, the uh, stance taken by Senator uh, Mitt Romney of Utah, that he will not block the nomination, uh, that the Republicans do have the votes to get it through. Um, you, you also made a point, Jim, that's Everybody's being hoisted on their own petard here now. Uh, the, the Republicans are being called disingenuous for setting a precedent. Uh, the Democrats are being called disingenuous. Uh, everybody is, uh, is, is using whatever anyone else has said uh, to their own advantage. And it's going to be, I think, unfortunately, 
a process that will once again expose the very raw and nasty underside of Washington, D.C. at its worst. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is one that um, NEHB has reviewed uh, previously because she was rumored to be a, a nominee before. Her record on NEHB-related issues is outstanding, um, and she's somebody that NEHB will ultimately support. But what I wanted to get from you, Jim, is what I would have asked you after three or four bourbons. How is this effort in raw politics, as you put it, how is this going to impact the senatorial elections, and how is it going to impact the presidential election? Well, I, I, I think I think a couple of ways on both fronts. If if you're a Democrat and in your and you've got some uh, challengers in in the thirteen uh, tough races that Republicans are trying to defend now, this is a big hammer you're trying to hold over their head that they're rushing this nominee to a vote uh, that they're they're not doing all the due diligence that they they need to do, whether it's the background checks or the uh, the um, the hearings. Uh, that this, this is a rush to judgment that Mitch McConnell is breaking his word and that, and that any Republican incumbent is just an enabler and we should have the courage to stand up and say, we're not going to do it this close to the election. We'll do it after the election or we'll let the next president decide. If you're a Republican in those close races, this galvanizes your base. These, this is one of the things that the Republicans ran on four years ago. Certainly President Trump ran on, not ran on that, which is reshaping the federal judiciary. And he has done that with the aid of the Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in appointing all kinds of appellate and circuit court, circuit court judges uh, across the federal bench, uh, really remaking the, the lower courts uh, make up for, for, for decades, if not generations to come. So for both sides, this really is a, a base moment. This is going to turn out de Democrats and it's going to turn out Republicans. The question in those in those those swing seats is, is to what degree. Now you talked about the presidential side of things. There's a couple reasons there. Again, the president believes that in, in those swing states like Arizona and New Mexico and Florida, uh, uh, Iowa, uh, Ohio, Michigan, that this is going to help drive out the conservatives that he needs desperately to make sure that they all vote in the election. Uh, and so that, that's an angle for him. Uh, the, the other side of this is that the, in, in some of those swing states, if it energizes the left, do they come out and tip the scales in, the, in some of those states that were very close for the president last time, particularly in the, in the, uh, the, great, the great Lake states of Michigan, as I said earlier, uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin? The, those, are the, those are the calculations there. And, and Lord knows uh, both sides of the party, like you said, are going are gonna to wield this as a, uh, as a cudgel uh, for the next, the next three or four weeks. I tend to agree with you. It's really difficult to say. Uh, it, it definitely galvanizes the Republican base, but I think it also galvanizes the Democrats. Uh, if anything, um, this could lead to increased voter turnout, um, but, but only time will tell. And in the meantime, I believe you will see um, Judge Coney Barrett confirmed as Justice Coney Barrett, and we'll move on from there. Now, Jim, the, we were also busy last week. Uh, once again, NHB really flexed its, its muscle here in town. Um, on Thursday of last week, we were fortunate to have uh, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Ben Carson, uh, do a private address uh, to NHB's membership. We had almost a, a thousand members respond that they were going to listen in to Carson's speech. And Carson, I think, and I want your opinion on this, 
But my, my view was he handled the issue of the recent eviction moratorium uh, presidential order extremely well. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I thought I thought Secretary Carson gave a great address to the membership. Really, caught, caught, really covered the waterfront of the accomplishments uh, that he has had at HUD over the over the past three and a half, almost four years now. Uh, but probably nothing more important was the way he took head on uh, the, our question about uh, the 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 what I think is the the poor choice of words. From the president about about uh, housing in the suburbs uh, and especially affordable housing in the suburbs, he didn't shy away from uh, the question, and, and certainly our members didn't shy away from asking it. And uh, and it, I, I thought he, he I thought he gave a a good a, an excellent answer on a very tough topic, one that's that's politically charged right now. And I th I thought the secretary did a great job. He did, and just in case some of our listeners haven't had the opportunity uh, to listen to the the Carson presentation. What he basically said is that the president and everyone in the administration believes that affordable housing should be built wherever it is needed, as long as local government officials are the ones who sanction it. That the construction of housing in America should not be dictated from Washington, D.C. and its bureaucracy, but rather should be the purview of local government because that way the citizens have a greater impact on it. And it was the, the question was asked very directly uh, by our second vice chairman, Jerry Conter, as a matter of fact. And I think Carson did a tremendous job. Uh, so we, we did that on Thursday. On Friday, you and I had the privilege of taking part in a conference call with our old friend, uh, Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross. Uh, the subject, as many of our listeners will be anxious to know, was lumber prices? Yeah, it was. Uh, we we have been uh, we've been working with the, the Commerce Department uh, and the White House and and members of Congress uh, to resolve that these these high lumber prices, or at least do do what they can uh, to increase the production uh, in, in the country for uh, for our members to drive these astronomical prices back down to something that's much more reasonable and more importantly something that's stable where where the members uh, can plan and sell homes with with a, with relative confidence. Uh, that prices aren't going to go through the roof or, 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 or fluctuate too wildly. But I thought the call with Secretary Ross was great. Chuck Falk, our chairman, uh, and all the, led all the officers through, uh, through a, a, great, a great meeting in which they were able to relay not only the impacts that the lumber prices are having on their personal businesses and their customers, but also in their many, many conversations with the NHB Federation to be able to talk about the impacts that these lumber uh, these lumber, this lumber crisis is having on on every member, whether a large regional builder or a small a small builder is only building a couple of homes a year. These are these are real impacts, and the builders did a great job of of bringing that kind of grassroots flavor. The the the, people, the men and women who are on the ground experiencing this to the highest levels of of the administration and, and to the commerce secretary himself. I, I thought he got a lot out of the conversation. He said so. Uh, and and I, I think that we can uh, we've we, we've we've made that we put an exclamation point on the issue for the secretary, and I know they're going to be working on it. Well, they're going to be working on it. I thought it was really really interesting that at the end of the session, he asked his staff to put together phone calls uh, between our organization and the timber companies and their representatives. Uh, in essence, what he's setting up, I think, is a 
uh, a, a um, telephonic uh, chained cage death match between <laughs> our economist Robert Dietz and, and their economist. You can almost see it now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, personally, I, I think Rob Eats is 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 as close as you're going to find a Dwayne the Rock Johnson as 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 anybody, uh, and uh, and and we'll see what the lumber dealers come out with. Maybe someone like you know Iron Mike Sharp or someone from my my youth. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I think I, I think that what the secretary seemed to say is that the lumber the lumber industry is not convinced that the housing the housing industry is going to remain as strong as it has been in the la these last six months. And so I, I think there's an opportunity for us uh, as an industry to show them that the combination of interest rates, uh, this move from the, from the cities and the inner ring suburbs out uh, that is fueling uh, new, new homes, uh, offices, uh, gyms, and, and, and connectivity to be away from uh, you know, the, the virus, so to speak. Uh, and then, and then, and then also just the underlying demand that that we've been talking about for years—the pent-up demand for for new homes. I, I think that we can show them that there there is a sustainable market here, and that they they need to meet it. My, my fear is that if the lumber producers continue to keep production low, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in their mind. They're going to kill the housing the housing recovery, and then prove their point right that it wasn't sustainable. We've got to give them the ammo to, to, and the comfort to know that they can they can keep keep cutting those boards. I completely agree, and and the important thing that, that we've got to make sure Rob understands is he doesn't have to convince the timber companies economists. He has to convince the Commerce Department economists that are that are listening in and sort of moderating this debate, if you will, because if they come around and understand the points that we're making, uh, Commerce has ways to let's just say encourage and entice our friends in the timber industry um, to start working uh, a little more, uh, let's just say a little more seriously uh, toward uh, creating the output that we need uh, in the lumber arena. So I, I think that was uh, something else that we should take great pride in last week um, uh, in weighing in on, on the nomination for the next Supreme Court justice, having a conference call um, with the Secretary Hud, who was basically addressing our concerns specifically, uh, and then a private phone call with the Secretary of Commerce, uh, where he agreed to help us take further action on what right now is one of the key issues for our members. I think that underscores the value of membership in NAHB to a T, Jim. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 this is and, and this is why we are a federation uh, because we we absolutely need to make sure that we're bringing the grassroots from the local level through the state up to up to be your voice in Washington, D.C. And, and that's another point. All you listening to the podcast, we appreciate all your our loyal listeners who have been with us uh, since day one. And for those of you who are just tuning in for these, these this one, you know, make sure you let us know where you're, where you're hearing from. Jerry and I have a lot of fun doing this. Uh, we've gotten great response, great feedback, uh, you know, for us to be able to bring to you over the course of just a few minutes of your day, uh, some of the great things that we're doing here in Washington, D.C. Let's uh, shift for a minute. We promised uh, our listeners in the uh, last episode that we would discuss uh, political races. Uh, we talked a little bit, I think, about um, analyzing the North Carolina Senate race. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, well, I, this is this is part of uh, Mitch McConnell's firewall that uh, he needs to he needs to hold that North Carolina seat currently occupied by Senator Tom Tillis. He's a, a freshman. Senator, uh, this this seat, Jerry, as you know, has a has a long history of flip flopping in the last few years. This is the old Jesse Helms seat, 
uh, from, from way back. Then, then Liddy Dole, Liddy Dole held it in Republican hands. She lost it to Kay Hagan, and then uh, as a Democrat, and then Tom Tillis took it from Kay Hagan six years ago. So uh, th this is a, it's, it's a weird case of flip-flopping right now. And Senator Tillis has a, has a race on his hands. Uh, Cal Cunningham, uh, a U.S. Army reservist, uh, former state senator. Uh, he is a, a second-time statewide uh, uh, nominee, or actually a candidate. He ran in the uh, Republican Democratic, I'm sorry, the Democratic North Carolina primary back in 2010 for the right to take on Senator Richard Burr. He, he came in second in that race. So he's got a name ID, and Cal Cunningham is leading now. He's uh, He's been consistently up uh, about five points, though, though Senator Tillis is starting to, to close that gap. And this is one of those races that if, if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are going to hold on to the Senate, they, they need this race. And I think Senator Tillis's fate falls on whether or not uh, President Trump can carry North Carolina. President Trump needs North Carolina as well to, to, to build that electoral college uh, majority that, that he built four years ago. So this is an incredibly, incredibly tight race uh, and, and one that everybody's watching. So if you're a, uh, a relatively new political junkie and you're going to stay up all night, as Jim and I are, for the umpteenth time on an election night and watch the results, uh, keep your eye on North Carolina. If the Republicans lose that Senate seat uh, and the Republicans uh, don't carry the day in the presidential voting in that state, it's going to be a long, long night for the Republican Party. That's right. That's right. Yeah, this is one of them. You know, one of the other seats, Jerry, we, we, we talked about it is one that I know you, you raised uh, on our last podcast, and that's that's in Texas 32. This is a House race uh, between incumbent uh, freshman legislator Colin Allred, uh, who turned that red district blue uh, two years ago. And, and, and he's running against uh, a, re, uh, a Republican, Genevieve Collins. Uh, in this, this suburban Dallas seat, and th this is another race that um, that uh, I know you, you've you've asked me about. Uh, Texas has got a handful of these uh, these close races here, but this is um, th this is going to be an interesting one to see if the Republicans can can take back some of those suburban seats that they lost two years ago. Yeah, it's an interesting district. It was really a district that was just created um, as part of redistricting in the early two thousands. Uh, the first person to hold it was. Pete Sessions, um, and it was thought to be um, a very solidly Republican district. But in the last election, uh, Alred defeated uh, Sessions. Uh, and um, it's also a district that I think is more of a toss-up now because of some of the suburban antipathy toward President Trump. Uh, and I think that that's something we got to watch very closely. Be a very interesting race. I mean, it's not going to change the Republican majority in the Texas congressional delegation. Um, but it's one that you've got to watch very carefully. Uh, the incumbent is a, uh, a, a very, very well-liked former NFL player. Um, and the, the challenger, Ms. Collins, is a very successful suburban Dallas businesswoman. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting race to keep our eyes on. And again, one of those, you know, as much as Texas will be behind us here on the East Coast for results, Another one of these bellwethers for uh, what kind of night? It's either a long night for the Republicans or a long night for the Democrats. But uh, this is this is one to watch. Now, in either of these two races, Jim, the Tillis Senate race or this Texas thirty second congressional race, has Bill Pack uh, taken a, a stand? Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yes, Bill Pack, our our, our North Carolina trustees uh, and and the Bill Pack Board of Trustees have 
have thrown their weight uh, behind Senator Tom Tillis. Uh, and in that Texas 32 seat, uh, our, uh, our our Texas trustees and, and our board of our board of uh, our board of trustees for Bill Pack have also thrown their weight behind Genevieve Collins. So they have uh, they've made strong statements in these by uh, by by supporting these uh, these two candidates financially and and, and electing uh, you know pro housing candidates uh, to the House and Senate. Well, uh, it's going to be, as, as we've said over and over, and we'll keep saying as long as we're analyzing these races, it's going to be a very interesting election and a long night on November the 3rd. That's right. I think, Jim, we're just about out of time. I would like to encourage our listeners to subscribe uh, to Housing Development as a podcast. Uh, doing so reinforces uh, uh, that we're doing a good job for you and that we are in fact, uh, something that we should keep on the slate here at NAHP. So subscribe, if you could, please, to Housing Developments. We would appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with more of the latest news on what's going on with housing. For now, thanks for listening to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Thanks so much. Thanks.